0: Let's read a little bit of scripture this morning. Turn to Matthew chapter 28, first of all. Matthew chapter 28. We're also going to be in John chapter 20. I want to read two different accounts today. So Matthew chapter 28 is where we'll start. And then we'll also jump over to John chapter 20. Matthew 28, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now turn over to John chapter 20, if you would. John chapter 20. And again, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. John 20, verse 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things to her. With me, Father, we're so thankful for the Word of God, and I pray now that uh, everything that has taken place in this service would uh, have centered our hearts and minds on you, uh, that we would have worshiped you and, and uh, spent some time in that way. But now, Lord, I pray that we would focus our thoughts on, on your Word, and I pray you would speak to us through it. Father, we believe this is the holy, inspired, and errant, perfect, infallible Word of God, we believe that it contains everything that we need for our faith, and for our practice. And so help us today. Fill me with your spirit. Enable me to preach. And uh, help me, Lord, to say only those things I should say, but boldly say everything I should. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the story does not end with the cross. Easter Sunday always reminds us of that. We boldly and happily say, He is risen, He is risen indeed. And we think that that's a wonderful day. But you know, the story doesn't end with Easter, either. And we always build up this great big climax. We have the biggest crowd of the year, usually on Easter Sunday, and it's a glorious day. But the amazing things that happened on Easter Sunday were not the end. They weren't even the peak. They weren't even the top of it all. They were really just the beginning. For 40 more days, Jesus continued to walk on this earth after he had risen from the dead. For 40 days he appeared to people, he talked with his disciples, he talked with others. And we learned an awful lot the last few weeks by examining his sayings from the cross. Well, for the next few weeks I'd like for us to continue that study, but now we're going to look at the sayings after the cross, the sayings after the resurrection, the things that he had to say to others after he had risen. I think we'll find here words for the brokenhearted, words for the confused, Words for the downtrodden. We'll find words for the discouraged, the doubting, the unbelieving, the defeated, and the failing. We'll even find words for those who are resolutely set against the faith. We'll find words that will help us. And, of course, we'll find his instructions. His great commission to us is one of those things we'll have to talk about as we're looking at this. His instructions to us all. Well, in order to do that, we need to kind of figure out the order in which Christ appeared to people after the resurrection. And that's an interesting little study. In order to figure out the order in which he appeared, we have to really take all four Gospels together. There is no one Gospel that we can look at that tells us everything about the appearances of Jesus after he rose from the dead. But taken together, we can come up with a pretty good timeline of who Jesus met with and when. For example, we know that it was first Mary Magdalene. She was the first one to see and hear him. And then the other women, and then Peter. And then he appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, which is one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. I can't wait till we get to that one. And then he appeared to the ten. That's an interesting time when Thomas was not there and uh, did not get to see him. Then one week later he appeared to the eleven when Thomas had decided to come to church, and he was there. Then he appeared to seven disciples by the sea, another wonderful story, when he talked to Peter, and they restored Peter to fellowship and, and to service. And then, of course, there was the commission and the ascension, the last words that he spoke before he ascended back to heaven. We also know that there are others he appeared to, but we don't know exactly when. For example, uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to James, his brother James. We, we don't know when that happened, but we know it happened. Uh, Paul also tells us that he appeared to 500 brethren at once. We're not sure when that happened, but we know it did. And, of course, we also know that uh, after the ascension, uh, he appeared to uh, Saul of Tarsus himself on the road to Damascus. All of these things are instructive. And that's the apparent order. And we'll probably follow that order as much as we can as we look down through these words after the cross. Well, today I want us to look at the very first appearance His first words spoken just outside the empty tomb. And I think we'll see that the first of those words were to a weeping woman. And then he spoke again to some other wondering women. Let's look at those two things. John chapter 20, if you're still there, look at verses 15 through 17. That'll be where we'll concentrate for this first part. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mark is the gospel writer who makes it very, very clear that the very first person that Jesus talked to was Mary Magdalene. So we know this was the first conversation. Mark said in verse number, uh, chapter 16, verse number 9, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. And interestingly, again, in order to understand just what happened here, we have to look at all four gospels together. If we looked at just Matthew, if we looked at just Matthew, we'd think, well, the group included Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, he said. If we look at Mark, Mark mentions that there were three women there in Mark chapter 16, verse 1. Luke names three women and says that there were others, plural, there as well, at least five. John only mentions one, Mary in John chapter 20, verse number 1. And it's not, as some unbelievers would say, that there are discrepancies in the Bible. That's not what we see here. But what we see is that each of these Gospel writers told a portion of the story, and we need to pull them all together in order to get the full truth. And so when we do that, what we find out is that there there were at least five women who went to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning. And as we look at this and we see Jesus here speaking to Mary Magdalene alone, we also can deduce that at some point, we're not exactly sure when, Some people have some theories. At some point, Mary Magdalene and the rest of the women separated somehow for some reason. And uh, Mary Magdalene was alone outside of the tomb. And so that's where we see her here. We see Jesus speaking to her as she's weeping outside of the tomb. She's thinking someone has carried away the body of her Lord. She is confused. She is frightened. She is broken hearted. Over the events of the last three days. And then she hears someone speaking. And let me just mention three brief comments about the things that Jesus said to her in this passage. His words to this weeping woman. First of all, there was a question, wasn't there? He said to her in verse number 15, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Interestingly, she had just heard two angels ask the exact same question. And I'm always amazed when I read that and why she was not shocked and dismayed to be in the presence of angels angels spoke to her and she just acted like it was a perfectly normal conversation but they had said the same thing had they not they had said woman why are you weeping and you wonder if angels had come and said there's no reason for weeping don't you think that would be good enough reason why why was she weeping not only that she had just watched as john and peter had come and they had looked into the tomb and even though initially they didn't understand what they were seeing, at the end of that story, we see that they were convinced. They went away believing, John said. He said that they ran to the tomb, and John, first of all, just looked inside, but didn't go in. And then old impetuous Peter came along, and he ran right inside there. And to those of us who have been to Israel can no doubt think exactly where they were standing, exactly what that looked like, if uh, the garden tomb is indeed the correct spot. But Peter walked in. And it says that he examined the grave clothes, and he looked at them. And uh, I read one story that, or one study that says that the words that are used here about them looking at the grave clothes were progressively from just looking with no understanding to, by the time they got down to the end, they were looking and they were convinced, they were understanding. Because, first of all, why were the grave clothes there? If the body had been stolen, they would, they would have taken the body in the grave clothes. They would have not taken the time to unwrap all this stuff and leave it lay there. But the Bible seems to indicate, and most scholars believe, that not only were the grave clothes there, but they were there in a very specific way. They were there as if the body had just vanished out of them. And that's why they looked at them and they thought, this is amazing. And then John walked in, and he was convinced as he looked at that. And so here's Mary outside. She's watching this interchange. She's watching these two men, and they come out, and they're believing that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and yet she's weeping. Why are you weeping? I guess certainly we can understand her sorrow at least we can try to empathize a little bit with her, she had suffered an imaginable loss as she watched her Lord crucify. From her perspective, I guess things could not have looked much worse. From her perspective, all her hopes were dashed when she had watched that body laid in that tomb, when she had watched him roll that stone, of course, across the door. From her perspective, everything was over. From her perspective, she had every reason to weep. And I've got to believe that when she heard this person behind her saying, Why are you weeping? I can imagine she probably thought, What? Why am I weeping? How could I not be weeping? I have every reason to weep. But that was her perspective. What about this perspective from the angels? The angels have been watching all this this thing from outside, and they're astonished and amazed to see what the Lord has done. And they come down to announce it. They knock the stone out of the way, and they show the empty tomb, and they say to her, it's not here. And they think this is a wonderful thing, and she's weeping. And they're looking at her and saying, why why would you be weeping? Think about it from the Lord's perspective, who's standing there in front of her, standing there, alive, and she's weeping. And he says, why are you weeping? I think Jesus was basically saying to her, I'm here to tell you, you never need to weep again. So the first thing we see from this, com- this conversation is a question. But then there was this moment of recognition. Verse number 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. Just one word. Her name, Mary. Don't you wish you could have been there to see the look on her face? Tears streaming down her face. What must she have thought? What, what must have been the look on her face when she heard that familiar, known, beloved voice say her name? Mary. What a moment of indescribable joy it must have been when she recognized, when she saw that this was not the gardener. This was rather Jesus, the Son of God, her Savior, and he was alive. A moment of recognition. You know, Saul of Tarsus had something similar to that happen to him on the Damascus Road when he was confronted with Jesus Christ. And the first thing Jesus said to him was, Saul, Saul, a moment of recognition. And then there's a third thing that we see here. It's in verse number 17. We see that Jesus gave her some instruction. So there was a question, there was recognition, there was instruction. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This is a rich verse, and there's a lot we could talk about in this particular verse. But I'm going to limit myself to just a couple comments this morning and move on to something else. Mary did what probably any of us would have done in this moment. Uh, awe and amazement. She fell at his feet, and she worshipped the Savior. She latched on, and would have held on forever if she could have. But while she was holding on to him, he said a couple of important things. He said, first of all, he said, I'm not done yet. He said, I'm getting ready to go back to heaven. I'm getting ready to go back for the next phase of the task, so don't cling to me. Don't try to hold on to me here. Don't try to hold me back let me get on with the work that remains. But then he said a second thing. He said, I have a task for you, to." He said, I have something for you to do. He said, I need you to go, and I need you to say. You're to be a witness. You're to go and tell my brethren. I need you to go and say. So Jesus' first words here are to a weeping woman, Mary Magdalene, and uh, those are the things that he said to her. First a question, then this moment of recognition, and then some instruction. But then, then... Shortly thereafter, we see that he speaks again, and this time he speaks to some other women. Some other women. And that's in Matthew, the text we read there. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so to this group of women, he said four principal things. First of all, he said rejoice. Rejoice. Now, I know some of you are probably holding English translations of the Bible this morning where that is translated as greeting. Greeting. I don't like that. I don't like that, and I don't think it's right. I don't think they got that right at all. That word there can be translated greeting to be true, to be sure. But it's more often translated "rejoice." It can even be translated "grace." It's the Greek word "kairo," and dependent on the context is how they determine how to translate it. But I just can't get my brain around the fact that greeting would be right. I mean, think about this. I think it would be a bit anticlimactic, don't you think? Here they are. They're looking face to face with the risen Savior of the world. They're looking at him with great anticipation. What's he going to say? He opens his mouth and out of his lips comes, hello. (laughs) I I can't get my head around that. This was a climactic moment, a momentous thing. I think his first words must have carried a little more weight than just a simple hello. I think rejoice is the right translation. Rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice, for I have risen as I said. Rejoice, for the debt of sin is paid. It is finished. Rejoice, for the adversary Satan has been defeated and victory has been won. Rejoice, for I have finished the work of your redemption. Rejoice, for the pathway to God is open. The veil that hung between you and God is torn in two. Rejoice. I can see him saying that. Can't you? He said something else. He said, do not be afraid. Rejoice. Do not be afraid. You know, a wonderful study for you to take on on your own sometime is just go through your New Testament. Go, go through the gospel accounts and notice all the different times Jesus said, fear not. All the different times he said, do not be afraid. Boy, he said it a lot. And was there ever a time when he said it with more meaning and more behind it than right here? When here he stands, risen before them. Do not be afraid. How could they be afraid when they stood and looked at that? You have nothing to fear ever again. You never need be afraid from this moment on, because I'm standing here alive. So rejoice, do not be afraid. He said a third thing. He said, go and tell. And that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's the same thing he just said to Mary Magdalene. Go and tell. He had told her to go and say, and now he's repeating the instruction here to the other women. And we'll we'll talk about that a lot more when we get down to that last word that he spoke, right before he ascended into heaven, when we talk about his great commission. When we talk about him saying, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you. His great commission. Uh, it was mentioned in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we'll talk about it more when we get there. But here it is. The seeds of it, the beginnings of it, go and tell. So rejoice, don't be afraid, go and tell. And then finally, he said one fourth thing. He said, they will see me. They will see me. What were these women to go and tell? Well, they were to let the rest of the disciples know that they would soon see the risen Lord. It was a promise, a glorious promise, something for them to look forward to. They had an appointment with the Savior, and it was going to happen soon. They Will see me. And so think about these two words. We have the words to the weeping woman, Mary Magdalene. His first words to her included a question Why are you weeping? They included a moment of recognition when he called her by name. And then he gave her something to do an instruction go and say. And then to the rest of the women he spoke. They're confused. They were wondering about what had happened. And he also had some words for them words of comfort. Rejoice and don't be afraid. Words of instruction, go and tell, and words of promise, they will see me. And so as we think about those things, can we think of ways they might apply to us? Can we think this morning of applications to our own lives? I don't know about you, but I can see some. I can see some. The first thing that comes to my mind is we too ought to rejoice. (laughs) how can we not and we too ought to ask ourselves the question why are we weeping I, I know it's true that we suffer hardship and trial and pain in this life all of us go through it at one time or another but in light of the empty tomb in light of the fact that our Savior is alive forevermore, in light of the fact that he has now proven he can keep and will keep every promise that he ever possibly, even the most impossible of his promises, we have so much more reason to rejoice than to weep, don't we? Why are we weeping? I know we live in a fallen world, and I know that sometimes the promise of health and happiness and peace seems a long ways away. I was reading one of Robert Frost's poems recently, and uh, that poem... Ends with the line, a long time to go, or a long way to go, miles to go, before I sleep. I don't know if you've read that poem or not, but sometimes we feel that way, don't we? Heaven seems like such a long way away. Miles to go, before I sleep. In this world marked by tribulation and sorrow, we sometimes feel like Job who said, My face is flushed, my face is red from weeping. Our sister Esther is going through a time of weeping right now. And we weep with her. Her beloved husband, who she's walked with throughout her entire adult life, is soon going to be going home. He lies on his deathbed even now, just waiting on the Lord to call. And there will come a day, very, very soon now, when Bob's eyes will close in death. They're in that little room in their home. And Esther will weep. And we'll weep with her. But soon her weeping will turn to laughter, and her sorrow will turn to joy. For Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, our brother Bob will continue to be alive forever. He's a believer. He's saved. And so why are we weeping? Why are we weeping as we see Jesus standing there facing Mary Magdalene more alive than you and I have yet ever been? We have to ask ourselves that question. And we can be assured, just as the psalmist was, that the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. And that even though weeping may endure for a night, joy comes in the morning. Our minds can't help but go back, can they, to another thing Jesus said earlier on in his ministry when he said, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Hallelujah. So the first application is we too ought to rejoice. The second application is we too need to recognize his voice. We need to recognize his voice. Mary recognized it when he called her. You know, every one of us, every one of us is going to have such a moment of recognition if we have not already had it. We will hear him call our name. And there will be no doubt in our minds who is calling. Some will recognize that call in this life before it is too late. Some will recognize that call and be saved. But some, as a matter of fact, I think most, will ignore that call until their life is over here and until it is too late. And they'll find themselves standing in judgment. And when they hear their name called, then it will be too late. For some reason, lately, the Lord has been reminding me about just how few are going to make it into heaven. I have been distressed lately about something, about what I'm thinking of as a drought that we're going through here at Friendship Bible Church. You say, drought? Things are going great. We're getting ready to build a new building. We're we're, we're supporting missionaries all over the world. And it is true. All those things are wonderful. And yet, the gospel goes forth and it seems so few respond. I don't remember the last time somebody walked the aisle and trusted Christ as their Savior in this church. I I don't remember it happening in a long time. I preach and preach, and I watch with sadness, as some of you are obviously under conviction, and yet you don't step out, and you refuse to trust Christ, and you walk out of this place just as lost as you were when you came in. And I pray about that. I think I pray about that lack of response more than I pray about anything else. Why? Why? You know, and the reason I pray about it is because I think it must be, it must be some deficiency in the pulpit. It must be something that is not being done properly. If I were preaching well, if I were in step with the Holy Spirit, if I were faithfully fulfilling my ministry, would not people be being saved? That's the thought process that comes to my mind, and so I pray. And this verse keeps coming to my mind. Matthew chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus said most will not hear. Jesus said most will not respond. Few will hear him calling and respond in time. And most will refuse his invitation and end up in hell. And so I plead today, please be one of the few. Please, don't be one of the many. Hear his call when he calls your name. beyond the narrow way that promises life. Step out of the throng that is blind and deaf to his call. Before it's too late. I wonder this morning, have you heard him as Mary did? Have you heard him call your name? The songwriter says softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home. Come home. You who are weary, come home earnestly, tenderly. Jesus is calling, calling. Oh sinner, come home. So we too need to recognize when he calls. As the third application I see here, we too have a job to do for him. We have a job to do for him. Just as he told Mary and the women to go and tell, he has the same instructions for us. I know some people try to water down the importance of the Great Commission. They try to say, well, Jesus was just talking to the apostles. Just the twelve. That's all. It's not for us today. Uh, Hogwash. I don't believe that at all. How do you get past this? How do you get past the fact that he said it here to Mary Magdalene? How do you get past the fact that he said it to these other women? No, we're all to go and to tell. He says the same thing to you and me. We may not have a great grasp of theology. Do you think these ladies did? Do you think they had a great grasp of theology? And yet he said to them, Your job is to witness. Go. Say what you know. We may not understand everything the Lord has done in our lives. Still we can give witness to what we have seen. I love the story of the man who was born blind and Jesus healed him and restored his sight in the Jewish leadership when they were challenging him and trying to get him to explain what had happened. He answered. His answer was classic. He said whether I was uh, uh, whatever he is I don't know. He says once I was blind. This is the one thing I know. Once I was blind. Now I see. Now every one of us Knows that much theology. Every one of us can witness to that level. And so all of us are to be witnesses. And then finally, the last. We too will see him. We too will see him. There they will see me, he said to the women. What a promise. What a promise. (laughs) There they will see me. And don't you look forward to that day? That day when we see the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who have been born again. Those he called his brethren here. And I didn't talk about that very much. But he said, well, tell my brothers. And sisters, two ladies. I'm not just talking about the guys. But think about that. For those who have been born again, those who he called his brothers, it's a time of joy unlike any other. Something to long for with happy anticipation. A hope and a promise that we turn to in our minds over and over with increasing frequency as we get closer and closer to the day. There you will see me. And the same promise applies to the lost. It applies to the unbelievers. It applies to the doubters. It applies to those who have heard but ignored his call. They're going to see him too. But it will be a terrible day for them. It will not be something to look forward to. And they will be cast from his presence forever, and they'll never see him or anybody else ever again. But for the saved, for the born again, for the believer, for those he lovingly called brothers here, it will be the greatest day imaginable. There they will see me. As the songwriter said, face to face. With Christ my Savior, face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ died for me. Only faintly now I see him. With the darkened veil between, but a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen. What rejoicing in his presence when our banished grief and pain. When the crooked ways are straightened and the dark things shall be plain. Face to face. Oh, blissful moment. Face to face. To see and know face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loves me so. Face to face I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory I shall see him by and by.